welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 37, headlined by Ryan Spann and Anthony Smith in a light heavyweight fight. The first ever appearance for Ryan Spann in a main event, whereas Anthony Smith has pretty much been doing this for every other fight net at this point in time. Uh, but interested to see how Spann looks, especially on this uh, stage, on this platform, and if he, uh, you know, makes any improvements from what we've seen in the past because i just you know you guys will hear it in my breakdown here but i don't uh, have too high of a ceiling for him interesting card all around we got 15 fights we had a couple that dropped off but we did get quick replacements for them so we're still at 15 fights at this point in time uh the most recent one was dakota bush falling out due to a covid situation and in steps brandon jennings former pfl fighter from a couple weeks ago who scored a beautiful flying knee knockout over former ufc fighter jacob kilburn he's taking on Zurong, obviously but a ton of other great fights on the card montel jackson versus jp Bays, Armand Sarukian going up against Christos Yagos. Um, you know, even the Coleman event, Iwan Kutilaba versus Devin Clark could be some fun as well. Um, what do we got? Gustavo Lopez versus Haile Alatang should be a fun fight. Nate Maness versus Tony Gravely should be a great fight. Uh, even Nicholas Mota versus Cameron Van Camp, both UFC newcomers, but that should be a fun scrap as well. Uh, and obviously, Ariane Lipsky versus Manny Baum. Again, Manny Baum, UFC debut, but uh, should bring a pretty entertaining style to the cage and going up against the violence queen we should see some violence in that fight so i'm very much looking forward to this entire card again 15 fights give it to me inject it into my veins i'm here for it all day before we get any further into this though let's go over the ufc vegas 36 betting recap and this was the first ever card that i never or at least ufc card that i never had a locker than i play and that is something that you know don't be surprised if uh, you see more of that in the future because i've finally gotten to the point where i'm like why do i need to have a locker than i play for every single card you know it, it, it sure it, it's nice to say that but i, I don't want to I don't want to push myself or force myself to make a large bet if I don't feel comfortable with it. And I just did not feel comfortable with it last uh, for the last event. I did end up going with my biggest play. It was a two-unit play on Marc-Andre Barrio. Could have been a lock than I play considering how the fight ended up going. But that knockout power of Dalcho was just a little bit too much of a concern for me. Uh, but Marc-Andre Barrio went out there and did the damn thing. We cashed that play minus 175 for a profit of 1.14 units. Our dog of the night play was only a half unit play on Sergei Spivak. Uh, he ends up uh, getting knocked out by Tom Aspinall near the ending of that first round. I'm still out here disrespecting Tom Aspinall. But, um, uh, you know, I, I look forward to his future opponents in a, maybe another more reliable guy that should be able to go out there and give Tom Aspinall some issues push him into the second and third rounds and see how he goes but Tom is slowly you know winning me over as a, as a person as a fighter uh but I do have question marks about his cardio and what he looks like later in fights so if he can fight a fighter that actually has some durability can make it past that first round then I will be more intrigued to possibly fade him in the future as a at a big uh plus number so all in all we end up plus 0.64 units on the night very small night for me but i'm glad to end up in the the profit there um but uh you know we got a 15 fight slate coming up here and i haven't posted anything on the patreon yet in terms of my lock of the night or dog of the night play that is still to come but i've already posted the best bets and props article up there i will be posting the prize picks tips very shortly and then uh yeah we're off to the races uh for for the uh the fights this weekend i won't be having much on bellator I'll probably do a best bets and props article just for the main card over there. So if you guys are interested in Bellator uh, uh, stuff, that is all just going to be on the Patreon there. So make sure you guys go check that out. 
And uh, yeah, like I said, big card this weekend. Check out the Patreon to, to get some exclusive stuff on that. Obviously, the Discord is a great community as well uh, for the Patreon. A lot of people enjoy it over there. That alone is worth the five bucks a month. So make sure you guys check out the Patreon. Link is in the description below. Secondly, as always, giving a shout out to CoolBet. CoolBet.com. Promo code use MMALOTN2. That's the number two. Uh, and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks on your uh, initial deposit. Like I said, I'm a little bit redundant today. Uh, maybe a little bit off my game considering it's been two weeks since i've recorded one of these podcasts but yeah make sure you guys check out coolbet coolbet.com promo code mmalotn2 uh they allow you to parlay props they got a lot of different props they got a lot of different odds as well uh very good odds on a lot of fights as well so make sure you guys keep your eyes peeled for coolbet and they're definitely on the come up uh, i believe slowly you know month by month they're starting to open up in more and more sites or more and more countries more and more regions uh so if they haven't if they weren't a part of your region in the past they might be now so make sure you guys keep your eyes peeled for that um all right that's pretty much a wrap on the intros here um yeah nothing else to plug let's just get right into the podcast let's stop dilly-dallying let's uh let's get into the podcast and then i'll see you guys on the other side Emily Whitmire versus Hannah Goldie. We got minus 120 on Whitmire and plus 100 on the returning Hannah Goldie, who's actually, you know, quickly returning, I should say. She fought a couple weeks ago, actually, against uh, Deanna Belbita and ended up coming up short in that fight. But prior to that, she had been out of the cage for a very long time. So it's very good to see her to try to get back in the cage and try to make up for lost time because at 29 years old and only seven fights into her professional MMA career, she has some room to grow and some time to make up, uh, especially if you want if she wants to make a run at this 125 pound division actually I, i'm just want to make sure it is 125 pounds because i do believe uh goldie used to be a 115er and she has decided to move up it could also be due to this fight um being short notice for her and she would not be able to cut the entire uh 115 pounds yeah so she used to fight at 115 this fight is now taking place at uh, 125 i believe in whitmire as well her last fight was at 115, and her scheduled fight against, uh, I believe it was Corey McKenna, that was scheduled to be at 115 as well. But given the short nature of this fight, I'm sure they're more than willing to give Hannah Goldie those extra 10 pounds just so that they could actually have a fight here. So uh, size-wise, you know, I don't think it's going to be massive uh, in terms of a difference here. Uh, we got 5'5 for Emily Whitmire, 5'4 for Hannah Goldie, 63-inch for uh, Whitmire, and 61-inch for Goldie. So Goldie's style normally is to be on the outside and, you know, kind of just use her uh, range striking, her movement, uh, you know, kind of to outpoint her opponents. That's what she looks to do more often than not. Uh, Emily Whitmire, on the other hand, she is, uh, you know, pretty much spitfire. She goes out there and uh, tries to just, uh, you know, finish her opponents. Uh, the Alexander, yeah, Alexandra Albu fight, she was able to get her out of there in just about a minute. The Amanda Kibos fight, she got absolutely dominated in that fight in the grappling realm. And that was very interesting as Amanda Kibos was a plus 155 underdog there and not a lot of people knew what she had to bring to the table at that point in time but that was definitely her coming out party and then the uh, Poliana Vienna fight Emily Whitmire gets tied up there and then quickly gets subbed quickly thereafter the Jamie Moore fight was probably her best performance to date in terms of uh, a full performance right staying at range not really letting Jamie Moore get in on the inside and get too much going and was able to really you know bust her up from the outside but again I don't really rate Jamie Moore that highly and I think she's more of a wrestler than she is a striker which is why she found as much issues as she did in that fight 
Hannah Goldie has interestingly been working a lot with Marina Shafir and Jillian Robertson in the lead up to this fight, and uh, I do believe that we should see a, a little bit of a, a little bit more of a, a lean towards the grapple heavy approach from Hannah Goldie here, especially if, if she wants to kind of uh, corral Emily Whitmire and get her to the ground and try to beat her that way. Whitmire does have a sneaky submission game, so that's something that Goldie's going to have to worry about. But I do think that if, if Whitmire goes out there and tries to replicate that Jamie Moyle fight, where she just stays that distance and try to pop her head back. Uh, Hannah Goldie is going to close the distance, try to push her up against the cage and drag her to the ground. And Goldie in her last fight against Belbita, pretty much the entire 15 minutes, Belbita stayed at range and beat Hannah Goldie up from there, landing the much more significant strikes. But it was like the last 20 or 30 seconds of the fight where Goldie actually finally got the fight to the ground and had tremendous success there. I'd be surprised if she doesn't look to do the same thing here against Emily Whitmire, right? Uh, maybe use her striking for a little bit to kind of tire out Whitmire and then go to the grappling a little bit later because she should definitely be the stronger fighter. Uh, but hopefully her submission defense is good enough that she should be able to stay out of way, the way of any submissions coming her way from, uh, from Emily Whitmire in this spot. I do think she'll drag her to the ground uh, at certain points. I, w I do think that Goldie will... Uh, really uh you know grind on her here uh output her from uh in the striking realm and then really have some good success in terms of the, uh, the grappling clinching dragging her to the ground and just doing some good work from on top so i am actually going to go with goldie here not the biggest confidence but i will take her to win this fight again i think she's going to put together a much more complete performance than whitmire and also given whitmire's you know lack of activity over the last several uh years as well that's a little bit of a concern uh, so I'm interested to see what she looks like now, what, now that she's coming back. But I do think that this is a tough matchup for her to go out there and try to fight a girl like Hannah Goldie on short notice here. So I am going Hannah Goldie, and I'm going to take her to win this fight via decision. Haile Aletang versus Gustavo Lopez. We got minus 125 on the Chinese fighter Haile Aletang and plus 105 for Gustavo Lopez. Now, I'm very interested to see how this fight goes down as I think both guys bring similar traits to the table here. However, I think the advantage is actually going to be with Haile Aletang in regards to his cleaner, crisper, and more aggressive style of striking. And Gustavo Lopez, a little bit more, you know, um, wild and, and uses wild winging and looping hooks for his striking whenever he he does close the distance and try to get his shots off compared to Haile Alateng, who's a little bit more disciplined in his approach with his striking, is aggressive as well and uses combinations very well. I think both these guys have a decent wrestling background. I think Gustavo Lopez actually has a very underrated wrestling background, but I think, do think that it will get nullified here and we should get a grab or we should get a mainly a striking fight in uh, in the scrap. I would be surprised if anybody has major or significant grappling success over the other guy, as I do think that they kind of cancel each other out. I do think, though, it will come down to the striking, and if that's the case, it will be a highly yellow tank fight, as he did actually switch up his training camp, went down there to fight ready, and I do believe my guy Eddie Chaw will have him more than ready to go for this fight. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not a case of just because I had Eddie Chaw on my show the other week or, you know, I've, even if I ever have James Krause fighters that I'm, I'm betting on or predicting or something like that, I will never put bias into this. I will never go into a fight and be like, you know, I'm picking this guy because he's Eddie Chaw's guy or I'm picking this guy because he's James Cross's guy just because I've built a bit of a friendship with those guys. That's not what it is at all. I do think that they did some really good things or I, sorry, a fight ready. I do think that they've done very solid work with Haile Alatang and I think we'll definitely see the fruits of his labor this weekend going up against a guy with, like Gustavo Lopez was a little bit more of a rudimentary approach with the striking style. Like I said, wild winging hooks, looping hooks really leaves his opening in terms of allowing the fighters to counter straight through the the middle right down the middle right down the pipe and i do think we'll see a lot of that from Haile alatang this weekend um 
yeah, Lopez, you know, he showed really good work in the uh, Anthony Burchek fight uh, where he was able to mix up takedowns and, uh, you know, land takedowns and, and really mix up the fight. Uh, he did that a lot in his regional scene as well. Obviously, he's one and two in the UFC right now, but losses to Marab Devalishvili and Adrian Yanez are nothing to hold your head about. Um, I do think that Lopez has a decent game. However, I just think his striking is just going to be a little bit behind what Hali Alatang will be bringing to the table here. So I'm taking Alatang. I think it should be a fun fight. I think it should be somewhat back and forth. But I do think that we'll start to see Alatang pull away with his much superior striking in this fight. So I'm going to go with Hali Alatang and I will take him to win this fight via decision. Impa Kazanganai versus Carlston Harris. So we got minus 115 on Impa and minus 105 on Carlston Harris. Then the interesting thing about this fight is the fact that Impa Kazanganai actually opened up around minus 185 and the public bet him all the way down to minus 115 now. And uh, yeah, we pretty much have a pick em fight here. A lot of people are in belief that Carlston Harris can go out there and get the job done here against Impa Kazanganai. Not me though. I think that Impa will be okay here. I do think he has the better striking here and I think that his grappling is up to enough that he should be able to fend off whatever Carlson Harris tries to throw out there at him. Now Carlson, it seems like his game plan is more often than not to try to take his opponents down, grapple fuck them, find that ground and pound, or find that submission, but I do think that Impa is good enough in those situations that he should be able to nullify the amount of success that Carlson is going to have in this fight. Carlson, you know, a lot of his earlier fights did end up going to a decision, but over his last 10 wins, he's been able to finish seven of them, leading me to believe that he's finally being comfortable in terms of going out there and finding the kill rather than trying to play this fight safe. And Pekasanga now, on the other hand, the majority of his fights have gone to a decision. Although he went out there and grappled fuck Sasha Palatnikov, eventually finding that submission in the second round and getting that choke. So, uh, you know, it looks like he's trying to find another way to win his fights, especially after getting knocked out the way that he did against Joaquin Buckley two fights ago. I'm sure Impa is more than comfortable over there at Sanford MMA now. I'm sure they're ready to go and have a good game plan here for, to fight a guy like Carlson Harris. And I think a lot of it is going to be centered around Impa Kasanga and I using very disciplined striking to try to stay at range, try to stay at distance, and uh, you know, kind of evade those big bombs that Harris throws at times when he's not able to secure takedowns or have success in clinch positions. Carson does have big power in his hands, so that's something that Impa's going to have to worry about. But as long as he can stay, you know, disciplined, stay disciplined like he did against Mackie Patolo, you know, get to a point where he feels comfortable that he could use his wrestling offensively and not get tied up in some sort of anaconda choke or any type of submission that Harris throws at him, he should be fine. I like him playing the spot. I'm sure a lot of people that were waiting to bet on him are more than happy with this line now compared to what he was earlier. Uh, but, you know, it wouldn't really surprise me if Harris ends up going off as the favorite as I have seen nothing but love for Carlson as, you know, on my timeline and, and in other prediction videos. It seems a lot of people like uh, what Carlson Harris brings to the table. I do too. You know, 34 years old, in his prime, this is his time to go right now. But I think stylistically speaking, this is a very difficult fight for him to 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 find a, a victory in, which is why ultimately I'm going to be with the, going with the Impa Kasanganai side of things. So I'm going to go with Impa. I think we're going to see a classic vintage Impa performance where he goes out there, grapple, or sorry, uh, strikes, uh, you know, um, with a very disciplined approach and then mixes in some clinch and some takedowns uh, just to try to keep Carlson thinking, keep him on the edge of his toes, and just keep him guessing in terms of what's coming next at him. So I'm going Impa Kasanganai, and I'm taking him to win the fight by decision. 
Aaron Blanchfield versus Sarah Alpar. We got minus 320 on Blanchfield and plus 260 on Sarah Alpar. Let's start off on the Sarah Alpar side, who's had a whirlwind of things going on for her, especially since her loss to Jessica Rose Clark last year. Uh, she was on the receiving end of a $5,000 donation from Jake Paul, which a lot of people were putting a lot of stock into, especially after Sarah Alpar. I have to go out there and put a GoFundMe together since she was not able to make end ends meet for herself and be a fighter. A lot of people know that's the story of the game for a lot of up-and-coming fighters right they have to hold down jobs whether it's a waitress whether it's personal training whether it's just doing uh classes for free whatever it may be they need to stay active enough uh you know financially so that they can actually train and uh, give the best of their abilities uh, in their upcoming fights Unfortunately for Sarah Alpar, although she has a decent wrestling background, I think do think that she is limited in terms of her skills, especially with her striking, which I think is going to be exposed this weekend against a girl like Erin Blanchfield. My issue with Blanchfield also is, you know, she's very heavily touted, minus 320 favorite coming into her UFC debut. A lot of people tooting her horn over the last couple of years, and finally she's going to be able to make her UFC debut here. But again, at 22 years old, you got to believe that she's still kind of green in the overall scheme of things. She has a good jiu-jitsu background. She has great wrestling as well herself but her her striking is something that's definitely improving on a fight-to-fight -fight basis we saw it on full display against victoria leonardo where she was able to decapitate her in that second round with a beautiful head kick uh and then after that she showed her great striking in the broken sanchez fight mixing in some takedowns after that as a, that is definitely her best path to victory i think blanchfield has a better jujitsu game than sarah alpar although sarah alpar decent wrestler herself i do think she leaves some openings in terms of being reversed and possibly even submitted in some of her fights uh, but I think Blanchfield will do a good job in terms of keeping this fight on the feet and letting her hands go really damaging and hurting Sarah Alpar. And I think there could be a decent shot in terms of uh, Sir, uh, Aaron Blanchfield actually finding a finish in this fight. I was looking at the odds and I was hoping that it was going to be at least a little bit better. It's minus or sorry, plus 285 for Blanchfield inside the distance. You know, I wish we would get a little bit wider of a line for that, but it's not too bad if you're truly in belief of what uh, Aaron Blanchfield brings to the table here. I do think she'll do a good enough job in terms of of, you know finding reversals on the ground if Alpar is successful at getting some takedowns because I am not impressed with Alpar's ability to to maintain top control and have that top pressure that's required to uh you know control a fight or at least find finishes uh, she was able to find a finish on her contender series fight against Shanna Young, but I do not think that Shanna Young is UFC caliber, although, you know, a lot of what's going on with Aaron Blanchfield now is more potential-based than it is from what we've seen inside the cage. Don't get me wrong, it is impressive from what we've seen inside the cage, but at only 22 years old, you got to believe that she still has some flaws that she's trying to flesh out here. With that said, great first fight for her, you know, much better than her uh, original opponent a couple months ago when she was supposed to fight Norma Dumont, up a weight class, but now she's back at 125 pounds where she should truly be, and I think that this is a great stylistic matchup for her. So even her to win by decision at minus 125, I think that's a decent spot. Her at minus 320, you could parlay her, but I would be careful. Again, a lot of this line is based on, on, on a hype, in my opinion. A lot of it is based on potential, and again, luckily enough for her, she's going up against an opponent where she should be able to show off that type of skill that a lot of people believe that she has we just need to see it first though and it's difficult it's a tough ask to go out there and bet on a girl at minus 320 who's only 22 years old making her ufc debut against a fighter in sarah Alpar who's fought some solid competition of her own so be careful be you know be, be wary but i do like what uh, aaron blanchard brings to the table here i do think we'll see her get better on a fight-to-fight -fight basis and this is no exception here against a girl like sarah Alpar. so i am going aaron blanchfield and i'm going to take her to win this fight via decision
Montel Jackson versus JP Buys. We got minus 600 for Jackson and plus 450 on uh, Bays, actually. JP Bays is how you pronounce it, apparently. But uh, yeah, plus 450 is uh, the underdog JP Bays. Let's start off with Bays, who's coming off a knockout loss to Bruno Silva um, in a very fun and competitive fight. We did see JP Bays have some success of his own. Uh, he did manage to survive against a high level black belt with the Bruno Silva on top of him for the majority of that first round. But then when it became a, a gunsling, contest in that second round he did succumb to it as uh, Bruno Silva was having a tremendous amount of success of finding that chin and finding that head and landing some big damage it's a little concerning in terms of the way JP Bezos reacting to a lot of those shots as I don't believe you know a couple of those shots didn't seem to have the most sauce on them so I'm kind of surprised that JP Bezos was able to you know or, or drop from some of those shots that he dropped from. You know, I think if Maltel Jackson is landing those same shots on him and he's getting that kind of reaction out of Bayes Bays might drop and, and get knocked out a lot quicker than a lot of people expect him to. I'm expecting this fight to be a high-paced, you know, uh, back-and-forth fight, but I do think that we'll actually see Jackson have the more success here. I do think he's a slightly strict, a slightly slicker boxer and, and kickboxer in this fight, and not to mention the 8-inch reach advantage and 5-inch height advantage he's going to have in this fight will play uh, very well for him. Or at least in his favor. I think the best way for Bays to win this fight is if he drags this fight to the ground and is able to have tremendous success from that top position. But I just don't see him having him having as much success as a guy like Brett Johns was able to and as Ricky Simone was able to as well. That seems to be the best kryptonite for a guy like Montel Jackson is just have heavy top pressure and be able to stay out of submissions that Montel Jackson is obviously going to be throwing up here. Montel Jackson was really pushed very, very hard as a minus 700 favorite against a guy like Felipe Corrales, but more so pushed in the fact that he was trying to find the finish, throwing everything and the kitchen sink at his opponent, but just was not able to get him out of there. Luckily enough for him, his cardio was able to hold up so that he was not able to or to, to get finished by a guy like Felipe Corrales, but I'm sure in his young career, that was definitely a very good thing for him to have to go through to deal uh you know with whatever he's gonna have to deal with in his uh upcoming fights quick fight against jesse strader where he was another minus 600 favorite i do expect him to have a little bit more issues here with jp Bays. however i still do think he'll eventually find that finish i'm a little bit stumped in terms of whether it's going to be a ko or a sub i am going to lean with the ko especially considering how poorly jp Bays was reacting to some of the punches that he was getting hit with by bruno silva i think montal jackson has uh, absolutely crazy hands or at least power in his hands for a guy that's 135 pounds and the, the story that's always brought up anytime montal jackson and fights is this guy has the same gloves or the same size of gloves that Francis Ngannou wears at the second lowest weight class which is absolutely crazy uh he has obviously some good power in his hands some big hands and then obviously a crazy grip as well when he's able to latch on to some of these dart strokes or some of the submission that he's throwing out there against some of these fighters again JB Bay is a little bit too reckless for my liking at times I do think he's going to find himself in trouble and I do think that will be Montel Jackson that gets his hand raised here I wish these total was or the totals was uh was set at two and a half and not at one and a half because more than likely I would take the under two and a half as a lock of the night play I really like that spot as I do think that both guys like I said leave openings for their opponents to find finishes but I do think it's going to be Bay who actually ends up getting finished in this fight the under one and a half is roughly around plus 130 
I don't mind it. I do think that we could see a finish pretty early in this fight, but I do like that Jackson minus 175 inside the distance, especially considering that he's a minus 600 on the money line. I do think that that the, the path to victory for him is going to be via finisher. I'd be surprised if JP Bates goes a full 15 minutes without getting finished, especially by a guy like montel jackson who has those finishing capabilities although you know montel jackson was not able to get guys like andre sukumtat or felipe kolarish out he did do his damnedest to do so and i believe that jp base is a little bit more vulnerable and doesn't have as good durability as those guys that i previously mentioned so i am going montel jackson montel jackson by finish i would say jackson first round ko Nicholas Mota versus Cameron Van Camp. We got minus 310 on Nicholas Mota and plus 245 on the short notice newcomer, Cameron Van Camp. And now Van Camp steps in early, or sorry, on short notice here for Jim Miller, who had to step out due to COVID 19, or at least test some positive for COVID 19. And this is a solid opportunity for Van Camp to come in and possibly spring off an upset here against Nicholas Mota. Now, I'll say this right off the bat. I think the line is a little bit too wide, right? Nicholas Mota shows that he has good hands, good counter-striking, and good aggressiveness, but Van Camp shows that he has, uh, you know, that wild man ability about him where he just kind of just bites down on his mouthpiece and goes buck wild. We have seen Nicholas Mota KO'd already in a couple of his fights, and that is not a good sign, especially against a guy who kind of just throws caution to the wind like Cameron Van Camp. But Van Camp, although he has a tattoo across his torso that says White Belt Gang, eight out of, eight out of his 15 victories have actually come via submission and he looks pretty proficient especially when he's on his back or when the fight is on the ground uh he did get grinded out by bobby volker a couple fights ago um over a five round period where it did look like he didn't have too much to offer off of his back but he did try to you know stay active pull off some reversals whatever it may be but now here against Nicholas Mota, Mota has shown, you know, been getting knocked out in the past. He has been submitted in the past. And we just haven't seen him recently have to deal with too heavy of a grappa heavy approach. You know, there isn't too much on his record that truly showcases to us that, you know, he can deal with relentless grappling. The only other time that we've had to actually see that, I believe, was the... Uh, was the uh the the, the his his uh his stint on the ultimate fighter brazil where he took on glyco franca his takedown defense looked decent in that first round his get up ability looked good in that first round but it was that second round where it really started to wear on him and we saw franca get him to the ground and eventually find a submission victory and i wouldn't be surprised if cameron van camp is able to successfully do that as well van camp will have a three inch height advantage here uh, i'm assuming a bit of a reach advantage too but the interesting thing about Van Camp is the majority of his fights have been taking place at 170 pounds, but he's taken this fight on 155 pounds. Last time he made 155 pounds was three and a half years ago. So I'm kind of interested to see what it actually looks like on the scale once it gets to that point. Maybe he's going to you know, have to really cut to, to make this weight class and it probably won't translate well into the fight. Like I said at the top of the breakdown, I do think the odds are a little bit too wide. I do think there will be some issues in terms of uh, you know, Nicholas Mota covering that minus 310. But I think the sneakiest way to attack this fight is actually the under two and a half. When I initially saw it, it was around minus 115. Let me see if there's been any changes to that since I last saw it. Yeah, it's still roughly around minus 115. Fight doesn't go to decision, minus 145. I think this fight is going to have violence on it. Uh, it's either going to be a Mota KO or a Van Camp submission. I do lean with the former. I do think that Mota will find that chin of Van Camp as Van Camp, like I said, swings like a wild man, doesn't really have the greatest amount of discipline when it comes to his striking which will cause him some trouble here against a heavy hitter like Mota who's very you know high tight guard waits for his opponent waits for the opportunity to you know take advantage of counters um 
I, I like what I see from Mota in terms of his striking. It's just his overall game. His ground game just doesn't look the greatest. And that's where I think he could get into trouble here with Van Camp. So if you want to talk value, I think it's on the Van Camp side here considering how wide the odds are. But there are a couple X factors that we need to take into consideration, right? The shortness nature of the fight and the fact that this is his first fight down at 155 pounds in three and a half years. And he's taking it on short notice. So who knows how much weight he's going to have to cut. If you're looking to bet this fight, I would wait until after the wins to see what kind of shape Van Camp go- comes in regardless under two and a half at minus 115 i think is a gift here as i do think that there's going to be a ton of violence in this fight but i will go with mota and i'm going to take mota to win this fight by ko and that line currently sits at plus 130 again i'd rather take the under two and a half to cover a possible van camp victory as well and and even either way i think that this finish whatever happens will probably come before the ending of the second round so i will go with nicholas mota and i'm going to take him by first round ko Zurong taking on Brandon Jenkins. Uh, Jenkins actually stepping in on short notice here after Dakota Bush had to pull out due to COVID-19 or at least a, a positive COVID-19 test. Luckily for the UFC, they're able to quickly find a replacement for him. A guy in Brandon Jenkins who actually fought uh, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago actually for the PFL, where he was able to land a beautiful flying knee finish over Jacob Kilburn former UFC fighter Jacob Kilburn and uh, that actually allows him to go on a three-fight winning streak and gets him signed to the UFC albeit on short notice here he's a 29 year old with a 15 and 7 record and he you know I believe his nickname is the highlight reel or something like that and he does fight you know pretty uh pretty in a very entertaining fashion I should say spinning stuff flying stuff as we obviously saw in the Jacob Kilburn fight and uh you know other than that he seems a little bit more like a pot shotter than anything there are a couple combinations that he threw against Jacob but when I was watching our older fights of him he seemed to be one of those guys that if he's the one with the foot on the gas and he's the one pushing the pressure and moving forward he kind of just throws out one shot here and there uses his kicks to kind of corral his opponent into the direction that he wants to go and then start throwing his hands after that Zurong on the other side I think he could have the crisper striking in this fight you know he's 17 and 4 21 years old still looking to you know really round out his game inside the UFC uh, but I think that uh, the, the odds on this are just a little bit too crazy minus 350 for Zurong and plus 260 for Brandon Jenkins I think that line is absolutely insane uh you know if 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 you're putting my a gun to my head and saying which side are you going to bet here uh you know and get the best value out of you got to say that it's got to be the Brandon Jenkins side although he's coming in on short notice in this fight he does still possess some solid skills that could cause uh Zurong some issues here but I do expect this fight to remain on the feet if anything I wouldn't be see uh, be surprised to see Zurong actually um, you know try to flip the script and try to take Jenkins down and try to grapple fuck him as that has definitely been the kryptonite to Jenkins in the past especially if people don't want to deal with his uh, unorthodox style of striking at times but even if this fight does stay on the feet I think that Zurong is a crisper straighter striker here compared to a little bit more of that wild and reckless uh, type of style that Brandon Jenkins throws with uh, and that could cause uh, Jenkins uh, some issues here dealing with that uh, more technical striker in the Zurong side of things um Again, the line is a little bit too crazy. It makes no sense. I, I would not at all advise parlaying uh, Zurong at minus 350. I think the sneakiest spot on this fight is actually the under 2.5, which currently sits around minus 125. Now, it's still new, right? It's still fresh in terms of when this matchup was announced. Uh, so there, I'm not 100% sure in terms of what the widely available odds here, or sorry, at least what the widely available total is going to be. So if it is 2.5, I would recommend hitting that under 2.5 as I could see some violence here. And you could 
also, you know, say on the Brandon Jenkins side of things, who's taking this fight on what three days' notice. His cardio is probably not up to stuff here. He probably believes that this is a spot where he needs to go out there and get a quick knockout. Otherwise, he's gonna or his gas tank is gonna fail him, and he's gonna be on the other end of a possible knockout the later that this fight goes. So I'm expecting chaos here. You know, outside of Zhurong going out there and and going with a grapple heavy approach. I'd be surprised if that's what happens. I think we'll see him stay at distance and try to get those strikes off. Both guys, uh, you know, actually, uh, Brandon Jenkins is going to be the slightly taller guy here and with a one-inch reach advantage as well. So I don't know if Zurong is going to be completely staying at distance, but I'm sure he can find his way into the into the pocket and land some good strikes here and land some good combinations against a guy like Brandon Jenkins. So I am going with the Zurong side of things here. I'm going to pick him to actually win this fight by second round TKO, but the issue in my opinion is that the, the odds are just way too high don't play Zhurong minus 350 don't parlay him nothing like that take the under two and a half if anything um it could hit it couldn't hit but at least you're getting better uh odds than uh minus 350 on a 21 year old kid who's still trying to carve himself out and get comfortable against legitimate competition in mma you know he came up short as a minus 210 favorite against rodrigo vargas in his ufc debut now he's coming in as a minus 350 against a short notice guy don't get me wrong and brandon jenkins but it's not like brandon jenkins is this this can off the side of the road right he's 15 and 70 he has 22 fights he has one more fight than what Zurong brings to the table so the guy's definitely been around and he's fought you know a ton of different opponents he's even headlined an lfa card in the past so this isn't just a nobody just uh, the ufc picked up here so uh Zurong definitely needs to minus p's and q's i'm going to take him to win this fight by knockout but the minus 350 line is just a little bit too crazy so final prediction here i am going Zurong and i'm taking him by second round knockout Raquel Pennington versus Patty Kianzad. We got minus 130 on Pennington and plus 110 on Patty Kianzad. Let's start off on the Pennington side of things, who's two and three in her last five fights, but still shows solid competitive uh, aspects of her game, which I think will allow her to uh, get past Patty Kianzad this weekend. Uh, she isn't. She's a fighter that's pretty much you know not the greatest at one thing, but pretty good at everything that allows her to kind of tie her full MMA game together and give a a lot of her opponents some issues uh the mario Renault fight there was a lot of clinching in that fight where she was getting the better of it pushing her up against the cage and landing some dirty boxing and dirty you know just clinch work she was doing a lot of good work there uh the holly home fight she just could not deal with the power and the strength of holly home in those situations holly was grappling for her life and uh raquel Pennington could really not do much about it but i'm sure she learned a lot in that fight especially in terms of having to up her strength and her physicality so that she could beat some of these women when they do try to overpower in those sense uh, the Irene Aldana fight that was another one where we saw her put on a solid uh, pace and pressure in those first couple rounds and then after that decided to go to her grappling and her clinch work which really gave Irene Aldana some issues I feel as though that Aldana that fight is a lot diff lot more difficult of a fight than Penny Kianzad for Raquel Pennington and I feel as though she should go out there and implement a similar type of game plan maybe a little bit more focused around takedowns and and clinching and trying to overpower Penny Kianzad compared to you know just try to outstrike her from distance now even if she does go out there and try to outstrike her from distance she has enough of a pace and enough of a hard-nosed uh type of style that it could cause panny can's add some issues you know panny she does her best work when she's disciplined and able to land those significant strikes from distance and really pop her opponent's heads back just like she did in the alexis davis fight however that was a close fight in the alexis davis fight right uh i believe mma decisions pretty much had that all for alexis davis 
And she was really pushing the pressure against Penny and landing some good shots and putting some good volume on her as well. It just looked like the more effective shots were coming from Penny. However, I think that Raquel Pennington is a much better striker than what Alexis brings, Alexis Davis brings to the table. And if she was having that much success against Penny Kianzad, I fully believe that Raquel Pennington should be able to replicate that and then some to truly sway the judges in her favor. So I actually like Raquel Pennington here. Minus 130, I think, is a really good spot. I'm not a big believer in Penny Kianzad. And I don't think that she's gonna you know her super disciplined style is really gonna work out for her here as Raquel Pennington as endless cardio she should be able to come forward you know throughout this entire fight really put it on Penny Kianzad and then mix in the clinching and grappling and she she should be able to grind this fight out so I'm actually gonna be going with Penny or uh, with uh, Raquel Pennington here uh I like I said a full overall MMA game and I think it's really gonna cause Penny Kianzad some issues Kianzad is on a little bit of a run now four fight winning streak at this point in time and it's a lot centered around her striking but i do think she will struggle here with the much more complete raquel pennington out of you know the last four fighters i'd say pennington is the most complete fighter that Kianzad has had to go up with at this point in time so i am going pennington and i'm going to take it to win this fight via decision Mike Rodriguez versus Tafan and Chukwi. We got minus 125 for Nchukwi and plus 105 for slow Mike Rodriguez. Now, both guys are coming off of under or you know underwhelming performances last time around. Mike Rodriguez most notably losing to Danilo Marquez after he could not stop any takedowns, nor could he pull the trigger. You know, that's probably the lowest point in my betting career is actually backing Mike Rodriguez in that spot as such a heavy favorite, but I expected him to go out there pull the trigger, find that chin of Danilo Marquez and put him out, just like Kennedy and Zechukwu was able to do so in Marquez's uh, following fight. But Mar Rodriguez, you know, goes out there and shits the get bed once again as a big favorite, although he did have claimed to beat uh, uh, Ed Herman at least twice in that fight uh, as a minus 275 favorite, but ends up coming short, comes ends up coming short as the veteran uh, Ed Herman finesses his way to a Kimura victory uh, late in that third round. Mike Rodriguez, decent striking, good Muay Thai, good power, obviously some good work in the clinch but I think he's going to have his work cut out for him here against Tafan and Chukwi who is just a little bit meaner and a little bit more crisp with his strikes and Chukwi coming off a very underwhelming performance like I said against Junior Park last time around where he was a minus 155 favorite but you know I think what cost him in that fight was the fact that he was down at middleweight you know it was his second fight down at 185 pounds and I feel like he just couldn't keep up with the speed and the tempo and the pace of a uh, or he wouldn't be able to keep up with the speed tempo and pace of a lot of the 185ers and and Jun Yung Park was kind of the base floor of guys that he'll be going up against and he just could not pass that victory or, or could not pass that fight. Um, here though, luckily for him, he's going back up uh, to light heavyweight where I feel like his, his best chance to actually make a run and be able to actually have success in this fight, especially against a guy like Mike Rodriguez who's going to go be willing to go out there and throw with him. If they do engage in the clinch, I do expect Tafan to be the slightly stronger guy. And also, I love the fact that he's a little bit more active in the clinch positions than what Mike Rodriguez throws out there. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tafan and Chuki try to land some takedowns here as Mike Rodriguez just does not look good off of his back. And I think a guy like like Tafan could absolutely take advantage of that but even if this stays in the striking realm I feel like the consistency of the way that Tafan throws you know whether it's a one shot uh leg kick or whatever the hell it is just to stay out there stay active and stay competitive I think he's going to do a really good job in terms of doing that here against Mike Rodriguez Rodriguez you know at times it's more so like he banks on his power than anything you know the last time he did get his hand raised was against Marcin Pracnio where he was able to crack him in that uh, clinch position with some beautiful elbows and put him out since then that's been 
his only victory in his last five fights even the no contest against uh, john allen that was overturned after john allen was able to beat him over a 15 minute mark but then a couple months later tested positive was tested positive by usada and uh, that fight got overturned to a no contest just too many flaws in Mike Rodriguez's game at this point in time. I thought it was enough, you know, I, I still thought he had enough strengths in his game to go out there and beat a guy who, you know, I just don't think is any good in Danilo Marquez, uh, but he still ended up coming up short in that fight too. If this remains a striking contest, I do expect Tafan to be the better fighter. You know, I, I believe in his durability more. I believe in his crisper striking. I believe in his patience compared to what Mike Rodriguez is going to be throwing out there. And not to mention, I think Tafan might have a slight speed advantage. Not the biggest, but still uh, a little bit uh, of a speed advantage that should, uh, you know, allow him to have more success in the striking room, getting his combinations off and getting out of the way of the big shots of Mike Rodriguez. Rodriguez will obviously have a 4-inch height advantage in this fight as well as a 5-inch reach advantage but I do think that Tafan won't have much trouble in terms of closing the distance and getting his shots off I do think that we'll actually see Tafan land a knockout as well I, you know I don't think that Rodriguez has the greatest durability and I do think he is going to be there to be hit especially against a guy like Tafan who's just going to be dead set on finding that chin of Mike Rodriguez so I am leaning with Tefan. This is possibly a, a buy-low spot for him. I remember everybody tooting his horn and saying he's the next big thing, especially after his performance on the Contender Series. And it seems like everybody's jumping ship now after he ended up losing to Junyoung Park. I think that's more so people not giving Park the respect that he deserves than Tefan not looking as good as he did uh, or, or as he should have against Park that night. But I do think that we'll see Anchukui, uh, you know, right that wrong, get back into the to, to the winner's column. And I think that this could be the end of the career, or at least UFC career, of Mike Rodriguez. So I'm going to take Tefan. I'm actually going to take him to win this fight not by knockout as well. I do think he'll find that chin. Plus 200 is a great line as well, in my opinion, especially in a fight where I expect it to be played out in scenarios where uh, KOs are going to be possible. Unless, of course, we see a completely revamped Tefan and Chukwi takes the smart game plan approach, which is let's ground Mike Rodriguez and try to work him from that top position. Very tough to say that's going to happen, especially, you know, if we've never really seen that from Tefan in the past. Um, but I do think he goes out there, wins this fight, whether it's striking or whether it's him going to take a grapple-heavy approach. So I am going Tefan and Chukwi, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via first-round knockout. Joaquin Buckley versus Antonio Ahoyo. We got minus 210 on Buckley and plus 170, plus 175, uh, I should say, actually, on uh, uh, Antonio Ahoyo. Now, Buckley obviously coming off that devastating loss to Alessio DiCarico, and I think it's good for him to finally have that monkey off of his back so that he can go out there and perform without any pressure on his shoulders. A lot of people were putting a ton of pressure on his shoulders, I believe, after that Impa Kasanganai knockout of the century uh and he's kind of been forced to you know go out there and try to find highlight real finishes to appease the bosses and appease the fans but you know he did get a decent victory over jordan wright a couple months after that kasang and i finished and then in the d Carico fight another one where i think he was just seeking the knockout a little bit too much and it just cost him and d Carico was able to blast him with a head kick uh which eventually knocked him out there now eight months off i'm sure he's been able to reset refocus himself and go out there and try to get some more victories and i think that this is a great opportunity for him and a great opponent to do it against with antonio ohio uh, there are some inklings that he uh, buckley will be working on his grappling year looking to take antonio ohio to the ground and uh, you know really exemplify the flaw that antonio ohio has with his grappling especially that we saw last time around where deron win a much shorter and smaller opponent than ohio uh you know easily taking ohio down albeit Wynn does have a great wrestling background so i'm sure it was a lot easier for him but the 
amount of resistance that was there was just so flawed and so low in my opinion from Ohio that I think that a lot of people expect Buckley to have just as much success if he goes out there and looks to go that route but even if he doesn't if he goes out there and just does the Buckley thing I think eventually he'll find that knockout you know Ohio's we our strength is actually striking but I do think that he shows some flaws and he doesn't really do the best job in terms of maintaining his uh, reach and, and his, his size advantage that he'll definitely have here he's going to have I believe a five or six inch height advantage in this fight he will actually be at a reach disadvantage but obviously with kicks and you know the teep and all that he can do a really good job in terms of maintaining his distance however I think with the amount of power and the 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 bullish type of approach that Joaquin Buckley approaches his fights with that will allow him to close that distance and eventually find that chin of Ohio I I you know Ohio has shown some decent durability but I think I don't think he's been punched by a guy like Joaquin Buckley over his last several fights which I think will eventually find himself in some trouble here I think Ohio slows down at a pretty sloppy rate whereas Buckley still goes out there and you know, showcases just as much knockout power in the first round as he does in the third round as he just doesn't lay off his opponents at all right he always moves forward he's always throwing big bombs uh it's almost difficult for his opponents to kind of counter him from distance because they're scared of what's coming back at them to begin with Kevin Holland did a really good job in walking Buckley's debut as he continued to stay on his bicycle and just waited for the opportune moment to snipe him from the outside and then eventually finish him in the third round I just don't think that Ohio has that in him I think he's going to struggle a lot here I think we'll see Buckley continuously push him back whether it's with takedowns or whether with his whether his power punches I think eventually Ohio is going to break and I think we'll see Buckley notch that knockout I'm actually going to be banking a little bit on that round three prop here I think that Buckley can just slowly make his mark throughout this fight and then once that third round approaches I think we'll see Ohio significantly slow down and we'll see Buckley really start to get more success land closer and closer to that chin eventually finding that chin halfway through that third round so I am going with Buckley here I think he uh, you know finds his confidence once again I think he bounces back from that devastating knockout to De Carico back in January and he gets a knockout of his own here so I am going Joaquin or Joaquin Buckley via third round KO Tony Gravely versus Nate Maness. We got minus 200 on Gravely and plus 170 on Nate Maness. Let's start off on the Maness side of things, who's 2-0 in the UFC now. Uh, one of them coming via decision over Johnny Munoz Jr. A very close fight. Could have gone either way. There was a point taken away by uh, on uh, Munoz due to uh, a low blow, I believe, in the third round. There's too many occurrences of those, especially in that first round, that the referee was just forced to kind of you know take a point in that fight. But Maness did a good job in terms of nullifying the amount of damage and work that Munoz was getting done from on top although I do believe that Maness was actually saved by the bell in the first round as uh, Munoz had a ton of success after he got him down and was pretty much cutting through his guard and didn't have too much issues and near the ending of that uh, first round he got into a very dominant position where he was just raining down shots and if he had another maybe 10 or 15 seconds he probably could have finished that fight uh, after that he did struggle a little bit more to get Maness down he did have to push him up against the cage a bunch uh, to you know kind of uh, stall Maness so that he could potentially look for, for a takedown but it didn't really come as easy as it did in that first round now I don't really rate Munoz's wrestling the greatest although he has great BJJ his wrestling game is still trying to catch up to his BJJ game and luckily for us we have Tony Gravely here who's much who's a much better wrestler and should be able to complete these takedowns and he does have some good crushing top pressure that should allow him to work to get to a good uh, position a dominant position and then eventually work to get some ground and pound going uh Maness good strike 
striker, uh, you know, has done very well for himself. Obviously won the TKO title over Jesse Arnett uh, uh, before making it to the UFC. And, you know, that was a fight where I felt like if Jesse Arnett used his wrestling, he probably would have tremendous success against Maness. However, he decided to go out there and strike with Maness, and he ended up getting knocked down in that fight. I believe that was in the third round or so. The Taylor Lapalus fight for Nate Maness, he just couldn't get going. It seemed like uh, Lapalus had him strung up, had him, um, you know, just pretty much uh, waiting on every little inch and every little move that Lapalus did because he reacted to everything uh, that uh, Lapalus was throwing. And then eventually Lapalus landed a beautiful sidekick to the body that dropped Maness, and then he finished him after that. But he did rebound with that win over Kelly Van Camp. I don't understand the significance behind that fight, but he goes out there and knocks out a 3-2 and guy, makes it to the UFC in short notice, beats Johnny Munoz, and then even in the Luke Sanders fight, uh, has tremendous success in terms of drawing uh, uh, Sanders into a bit of a firefight and then finishing him with a club and sub situation. So good win for Maness in that spot. But it was interesting to see that Luke Sanders was actually a minus 150 favorite in that fight, as I believe a lot of people thought that if Sanders could get his grappling going and his wrestling going, he would have uh, he would have had tremendous success. Luckily, we got Tony Gravely now who should go out there and implement some sort of a grappling heavy approach. And I think that would be the best in terms of being able to nullify what Nate Maness is able to do on the feet. The only thing that kind of gives me pause here, it does seem like Gravely does slow down a little bit later in fights. And it is, you know, not to the extent of, you know, the, the potential of him getting finished, uh, you know, at a crazy high clip by Nate Maness, but still to a worrisome uh, amount, especially if he's not able to get uh, Maness down and he has to go out there and strike with him for five minutes minutes i think he's going to be in some trouble with that said though i do think that we'll see gravely actually ground this fight early here and find a, a finish quickly thereafter i think in the first or second round he should be able to ground Maness, get through that guard, start passing, get to dominant positions, and start raining bl down blows. Maness has a decent submission game, but it's definitely not as good off of his back as when he's in club and sub situations or when he's on top of his opponents. And I'd be very surprised if he actually found himself on top of Tony Gravely in this situation unless he gets a knockdown here. I think a very sneaky spot in this fight is actually the under 2.5 around plus 165, as I do think that both guys have finishing potential, but I do think it will be Gravely that actually ends up getting his hand raised here. So I do like gravelly here i do like him inside the distance i'm actually going to be taking gravelly via second round ground and pound tko Armand Sarukian versus Christos Iagos. We got minus 750 for Armand Sarukian and plus 525 for Christos Iagos. Very simple fight to break down, right? What are Christos Iagos's strengths whenever he fights? his wrestling right usually that allows him to get bailed out of bad situations gets the takedown and is able to grind out his opponents but his gas tank is just so skeptical and so sketchy and we've seen a lot of fighters have a ton of success against him later in fights because he just slows down so goddamn much he did find himself in a ton of trouble early against sean soriano last time around as soriano stepped in on short notice to take on yagos luckily for yagos his durability held up and he was able to find that submission in the second round locking up a beautiful darts choke against sean soriano before that it went up against against uh, Carlton Minasu again uh, not a big threat in the in the striking realm even though that's his, uh, his his strength but it just doesn't throw enough power to truly give anybody issues and I think that Yagos didn't really respect him enough and was able to land takedowns whenever he needed to get a victory in that fight 
Here with Armand Sarukian, though, I think Yagos has his work absolutely cut out for him. I, I love Armand Sarukian in pretty much every aspect of this fight. He's 24 years old, only getting better on a fight-to-fight basis. His only two losses, his first one coming, I believe, in his second or third fight, which he quickly redeemed himself with uh, exactly or just about two days shy of a year later where he was able to go out there and finish that guy. I believe the guy finished him in 30 seconds with the knockout. He goes back and finishes him a year later, to uh, a minute and a half into that first round with the guillotine. Then his only other loss is on Mahachev UFC debut short notice spot um made a good account of himself there right Short notice, but still went takedown for takedown, scramble for scramble against a high-level fighter like Islam Mahachev. And now we're seeing that Sarukin is really starting to round out his training initially, training uh, full-time over there as Haig Muay Thai. Now he's been training full-time at American Top Team. Um, I believe that Haig Muay Thai is slowly just starting to fall apart, so a lot of fighters are leaving over there. But luckily for Sarukin, he has a great team with American Top Team to fall back on to continue to pro- progress towards the amount of potential that a lot of people believe that he has. I truly think that he's going to end up fighting Islam Mahachev once again, uh, maybe even for gold at a certain point in these next couple of years, as, as, especially if he continues to progress at the, the rate that he's progressing at. His grappling is obviously his bread and butter, but his striking is getting so much better every single time that we see him. You know, his combinations flow effortlessly. He was just absolutely piecing up a lot of his opponents. And even though he hasn't found a finish inside the UFC to this point, I believe that you'll find that first finish come this weekend against Christos Yagos. Christos Yagos' gas tank is just a little bit too much of a worrisome spot for me. And I think that the pace, pressure, and relentlessness that Sarukian is going to put on him early in this fight will drain that gas tank even quicker. And I think that we'll get a Sarukian finish in either round two or round three. I think Sarukian is the shit. I think he is a top five talent, and I think it's only a matter of time before he gets there. And you know, maybe getting some victories and and some finishes will probably uh, expedite his victory or or his goal to get to that top five in an eventual title shot. I like. Uh, this matchup a lot for him. I like the inside the distance around that plus 140, plus 160 mark for him. I think he gets the finish here at a pretty good clip. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you know, why couldn't he finish Matt for Volo? What makes you think that he's going to finish a guy like Christos Yagos? It's it's the Yagos gas tank, in my opinion. That's just a little bit too much of a worrisome. Uh, if you're looking about back, uh, back uh, Yagos at all here, Sarukin will put a pace and pressure on him that Yagos will not be able to keep up with. And then I think that will either open up a submission or a TKO opportunity for Sarukin here. So I'm going to go with Sarukin second round KO, and I'll definitely be poking those round two and round three props if they're juicy enough, which I think they will be considering the the you know, the the extreme level of uh, skill difference here. I think it's just absolutely insane how much better Sarukin is better than Yagos. I don't think that this is going to be an instance like last week or two weeks ago where we had Murdov against Mirshart. You know, I started off that breakdown by saying, oh, you know, let's not, you know, talk too much about who's going to win this fight, but how Muradov is going to win this fight. And that obviously came back to bite me in the butt uh, for saying something like that. But I feel much more comfortable saying that this weekend with uh, Sarukin, uh, as Sarukin is a much more proven and better fighter than Muradov, in my opinion. And then uh, the clear flaw from Yagos, which is, you know, his strength is his wrestling, which there's no way he's out wrestling Sarukin. And then his gas tank, which is obviously going to show its head probably in the second round. That's where Sarukin will start to take over and find that finish. So I'm going a Sarukin second round TKO. 
Ariane Lipsky versus Mandy Baum. We got minus 115 on Lipsky and minus 105 on Baum, so we can pretty much call this fight a pick on uh, Mandy Baum making her UFC debut now as she's put together seven straight victories. She did actually lose her first ever fight, uh, and it got changed to a no contest. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, you know, I've been trying to scour the web, trying to find any articles that I could to figure out why, but she did get tapped out in that fo- actually. She got put to sleep in that fight via a, a triangle choke, I believe it was. Uh, she went out, didn't tap or anything like that, and for some reason, they ended up changing it to a no contest after that. But in ring, it was announced that she had lost that fight via triangle choke. Since then, you know, she's been able to put together seven straight victories, like I said. Uh, I watched, it's weird, because we have tape on her first two fights, and then we have tape on her last two fights, so we can't really see, you know, the, the middle amount, the middle five, or what is that, middle three fights, I guess we can say, um to see you know the the levels of improvements from a fight to fight basis but you can definitely see the improvement from her second fight to her sixth fight um because it definitely showed uh you know some improvements at least in terms of the comfortability with her striking you know it looked like she didn't really know what she was doing in those first two two fights in the striking realm even with the takedowns right like she was doing some weird takedowns but she's definitely gotten better she's gotten a better idea of how to be more effective in the clinch how to be more effective on the ground in terms of controlling their opponent and eventually you know finding a submission like she did again in that mason wong fight um and then in her last fight against uh ikut i might be butchering her name there but she did really good work in the clinch landing some good knees lining some good damage uh defending the takedowns quite well uh and, and then just letting her Muay Thai go to try to you know secure a victory and she was able to get a decision victory that night Ariane Lipsky on the other hand is you know falling on pretty hard times especially since coming to the UFC her only two wins are against Isabella de Padua who took her that fight on less than 24 hours notice and then Luana Carolina where she was able to get that weird new bar but I don't really rate Carolina that highly anyway so uh, you know I kind of throw that win out the window but anytime she's faced anybody with with any type of substance, Joanne Caldwood, Molly McCann, uh, Antonia Shevchenko, and even lastly against Mon- Montana De La Rosa, she ends up falling short. You know, it, it's always her takedown defense that seems to be the bane of her of her UFC career. And I feel like, you know, she needs to really shore that up before we can go out there and better confidently, uh, especially in a spot like this where it seems like Manny Baum could potentially go for takedowns and try to grind Elipsky out there or even find a finish on the ground. Um, Manny Baum does have Daniel Veitchel in her corner obviously training with her on a, on a day-to-day basis over there in Germany most people if you guys have been following Bellator Vito has been around Bellator for a very long time so I'm sure he's been able to instill some very solid skills for Mandy Baum in that amount of time Lipsky, on the other hand, before her Montana De La Rosa fight, she actually trained, training, she changed training camps and went over to American Top Team, and it didn't seem like they were able to help her takedown defense, but I will cut her some slack there, as Montana De La Rosa has a pretty decent wrestling background, so I'm sure it was a little bit easier for her to land those takedowns than, you know, most people were expecting. Lipsky, though, you know, she's going to have to show solid takedown defense in this fight, because on the feet, I think she could absolutely blow Mandy Baum out the water. She has good pop on her shots, she has good sting on her shots, a very good moist high base obviously and she has a ton of success when she's able to get into that clench position land elbows and knees and really cut up her opponents and damage them that's what made her the violence queen in uh in ksw that's why she was such a big fan favorite before coming to the ufc but now you know it's kind of like you know she never brings out the violence with her whenever she comes out of the locker room uh I do think that this is a winnable fight for her, though. I think that Mandy Baum uh, still has some growing to do. Um, I don't know how effective she truly will be with the takedowns if that's the route that she goes. Uh, but I do feel as though we should see some improvements from Lipsky here. 
I'm not going balls to the wall here with Lipsky, though. I, I do have a ton of question marks. I think both women have finishing capabilities as well, which I think will uh, kind of aid m one of my best bets for this fight, which is actually the under two and a half, which is at plus 185. I think that if Bomb gets this fight to the ground, she could potentially find a finish. But if this fight stays on the feet, I think we'll see Lipsky, you know, just carry out that aggression, carry out the frustration that she's had over the last several years, especially with not being able to show her true self. I think she's going to go out there and I think she could actually get a finish here over Mandy Baum. Um, again, plus 185, there's a reason I feel comfortable with that because I think that's a decent line for us to take advantage of an under here, uh, especially between two women that, you know, fight a little bit recklessly at times and either leave themselves to be uh, finished or are aggressive enough to find their own finish as well. I am going to just you know, reluctantly lean with the Lipsky side of things, considering her level of competition, uh, you know, hopefully seeing some potential improvements out of her, her since training over at ATT now for two full camps. Uh, and then obviously, you know, just being the much more uh, weathered uh, veteran at this point in time, whereas Mandy Baum is still on the way up, even though she's five years older than Ariane Lipsky. So I will lean Lipsky here. I'm going to go with Lipsky, probably second round TKO. Um, yeah, not a big, big read on this fight. Lipsky, again, it's just that takedown defense that's just so difficult to get behind. You know, if she can stop takedowns, you know, it, it, she'll be back in KSW in no time. Let's just put it that way. But I will give her the benefit of the doubt in this fight. I'm going to take her to win this fight via TKO in the second round over uh, Mandy Baum. And hopefully that's the start of a, a little bit of a run that she's going to be able to put together and achieve some of that potential that a lot of people expected her to have coming into the UFC. So once again, I will go with Ariane Lipsky, second round TKO. Devin Clark versus E1 Kutilaba. We got minus 140 on Kutilaba and plus 120 on uh, Brown Bear, I think his nickname is, Devin Clark. Uh, let's start off with the Devin Clark side of things, who's coming off a submission loss to Anthony Smith in his first ever main event slot for the UFC. And if I'm not mistaken, that was on short notice where uh, Clark and Smith were forced to step in uh, for that main event slot after Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades got called off last minute. Uh, that did snap a two-fight winning streak where... Uh, uh, Devin Clark was able to get a decision victory over both Daquan Townsend and Hand Alonzo Menafield, his first ever professional MMA loss. In that fight in particular, obviously, Devin Clark wanted to go out there and try to spam takedowns and get them. I don't believe he completed any takedowns there, but he did do enough work in terms of staying active enough and throwing enough volume out there that it did cause Alonzo Menafield some trouble. He pushed him up against the cage and got, you know, there were some moments where Alonzo Menafield was the one pushing Devin Clark up, up against the cage, but Menafield was not throwing any volume Devin Clark was the one that was remaining busy dishing out the damage and ultimately got the judge's decision because of that um it's it's comforting to know that a guy like uh, Devin Clark can do that, right? Like a lot of uh, his success is revolving around him landing takedowns. But if he didn't, just as he did in the Lonzo Menafield fight, um, he can still go out there and be successful by kind of implementing his will in that aspect. Uh, luckily for him, though, uh, or sorry, I should say, unluckily for him with Iwan Kutilaba, you got another guy with a decent wrestling background, Greco-Roman wrestling, if I'm not mistaken, with Iwan Kutilaba, and I think that that will allow him to kind of nullify the grapple heavy approach that Devin Clark is going to throw here and then go out there and try to get a knockout victory of his own I do like what Iwan Kutalaba brings to the table here in terms of defensively being able to uh to 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 nullify the amount of success that Devin Clark will have so that he can let his hands go after that uh, Kutalaba obviously very sketchy last five fights for him he's won three and one where his last fight was um uh, 
uh, a draw to Dustin Jacoby where he had a very strong first round and then tapered off in the second and third rounds uh, I believe one of the judges gave him a 10-8 one judge gave him a 29-28 and then one judge gave Jacoby a 29-28 so a very weird fight all around but no L on Iwan Kotalaba's record after that Obviously, that was following two straight fights against Magomed on Kalaev, the first of which, which was stopped controversially uh, by Kevin McDonald, I believe the referee was, uh, who got duped by uh, Iwan Kutalaba's rope-a-dope, uh, and then he ended up stopping the fight there. But then we pretty much knew the writing was on the wall for Kutalaba in that second fight as Ankalaev dispatched of him in that first round. Before that, uh, he was able to secure that victory over Clear Roundtree, that was hot off uh, Clear Roundtree having that title performance against Eric Anders, and a lot of people thought he was changing his ways and was going to be a much more successful fighter. Um, but Iwan Kutalab is like, cool story, bro. And he goes for the takedown, lands the takedown, and starts to pound out Khalil Roundtree, and then eventually finishing him up against the cage afterwards. Khalil did manage to get back to his feet a couple times, but Kutalaba did not relent. He stayed on top of him and just continued to push the pressure, and then eventually finished him later in that first round. Uh, interesting to see how the grappling sequences will work out here. I do believe that Devin Clark is the better grappler, but I do think he's going to have a lot of uh, issues in terms of actually establishing that top pressure and establishing that success from the grappling that he should have here. I do believe Kutalaba will stuff a couple of takedowns. I do think he'll be able to remain on his feet for the majority of this fight. And I don't think the majority of this fight was is going to be that long, to be honest. I think that was see Kutalaba land that knockout blow against Devin Clark, push him up against the cage, and then break him. I think it's going to take Kutalaba something defensively. Like, it's going to have to look a little bit about, like that Gadzimurad-Antagula fight. Now, I don't believe Devin Clark has as bad of a gas tank as Antagula does, but I do think it'll look similar in the fact that we'll see Devin Clark have some early success here. But then after that, I think he's going to deal with a lot of issues in terms of going out there and, uh, you know, again, grounding or even having uh, clinch success against him. My only concern is like I have seen Kutalaba kind of slow down later in fights. You know, again, not to the Antigulov level, but I have seen him slow down and it has been detrimental for him in the past. And I think a guy like Devin Clark could definitely take advantage of that, especially if you take into consideration the performance that he had against Alonzo Menafield. I still do end up on the side of Kutalaba here. I do think he will stuff the takedowns of Devin Clark, and I think he'll let his hands go after that. And then I think at a certain point, he's going to find a big punch against Devin Clark that will uh, ground Devin, and then he'll follow up with some ground and pound. So I do like uh, Kutalaba here. Uh, by KO, I believe that line is currently sitting at plus 115. Minus 140 is not too bad of a line for Kutalaba. Again, a little bit sketched out in terms of the possible success that Clark could have here and if it could zap the power of Kutalaba the later that this fight goes. Uh, but I will still take Kutalaba. Um, luckily for him, like I said, has a bit of a wrestling background of his own that should aid him in... Uh, uh, you know, canceling out the amount of success that Devin Clark will have, and then he should find that big power knockout afterwards. So I'm going to go Kutalaba. Kutalaba knockout plus 115 is probably the best spot. I'll say first round knockout as well. So I'm going first round knockout for Iwan Kutalaba. Time for the main event. We got a light heavyweight scrap between Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. We got minus 160 on Anthony Smith and plus 140 is return on Ryan Spann, who's making his first ever main event for the UFC, whereas Anthony Smith has definitely gotten a ton of main events under his belt to this point since he's found a resurgence in his career since moving up to the 205-pound division. Now, I believe his last loss at or last fight at middleweight was against Thiago Santos. After that, he took an L and came back 
and uh, went on a bit of a run en route to a title shot against John Jones, ends up losing that fight, but does bounce back, I believe, uh, with that win over Alexander Gustafson, goes on a two-fight losing skid where a lot of people were questioning his desire to continue fighting, especially considering that he still has a, a solid uh, analyst spot for ESPN whenever they do you know, those, those preview shows or those recap shows or something like that. He has that going on for him. And I'm sure he has a couple other irons in the fire as well. But he did manage to bounce back with a win over Devin Clark. If you guys remember, that was a short notice main event slot. Uh, I believe, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis that ended up getting called off due to a COVID situation on fight day. And then Anthony Smith was kind of pushed up to the main event there. So good good on them for being able to do that. And then he goes out there and submits Devin Clark in that first round. After that, goes out there and have a ver- has a very interesting fight against Jimmy Crew. Makes a decent account of him himself up into the point that he lands a beautiful kick on Jimmy Crude and it absolutely immobilizes that lead leg of uh, Jimmy Crude and he just has no uh, give on it anymore. It, it was very difficult for Jimmy Crude to get any pressure on it and he tried coming out, back out for the second round but just could not do so. Anthony Smith, you know, he's saying all the right things. Every uh, All the interviews that I'm hearing from him, he knows that he should be beating guys like Dem- Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, and even uh, even Ryan Spann, he kind of categorized as one of those guys. He goes, you know, Glover Teixeira, as old as he is, and even though he has a minus 230 favorite going into that fight against him, he definitely gave uh, Glover the due that he deserved, and uh, you know, pretty much let him know that, you know, Glover is the real deal. It seemed about after the six or seven, actually after the eight-ish minute mark of his fight uh, in the, against Glover, that's where he kind of started to fall off, right? That's where we saw Glover start to land takedowns and start to get that top pressure going and then eventually get that finish in the fifth round. But his first two rounds, he looked pretty good. He was landing some good shots, moving well, doing what he needed to do to beat Glover. Unfortunately for him, Glover's durability was top-notch that night. And then ultimately, it was all Anthony Smith who faded later in that fight. And we saw Glover go out there and get that beautiful finish from the top position. Um, and then the Alexander Rakic fight. I believe he took that pretty quickly right after the Glover fight and uh, just couldn't get anything going. You know, Alexander Rakic was beating up that lead leg of Anthony Smith and eventually parlaying that into some takedowns and then just grinding that fight out over three rounds that was one of those weird three round main eventers if i'm not mistaken it was a short notice spot as well for anthony smith and alexander rackage to bump up to a main event slot there um I, I feel like we were writing him off a little bit too early. You know, although there is some controversy regarding that last fight against Jimmy Crude, I believe there is some controversy. Uh, you know, we, we did jump the gun a little bit on Anthony Smith. Seems like he still goes has the chops to go out there and beat guys, you know, that are hovering in that top 15. And I believe that Ryan Spann is definitely one of those guys that he could go out there and beat. Uh, Smith, when he is on, he has good striking. His level of uh, output it could obviously be, be uh, increased. That is obviously a concern. But you can say the same thing about Ryan Spann. So both these guys could just kind of be looking at each other for a while before they actually end up going out there and finding the finish themselves. Um, but I do like Smith here. I, I'm not a big believer in Span's game, right? I think he is a big power puncher. Obviously, that's how he gets the majority of his wins. Uh, that was there's that weird fight against Devin Clark as well, where he pretty much was not pushing, uh, you know, or, or pulling the trigger on anything for about six or seven minutes, and then at some point he just said, "Fuck it," goes balls to the wall, finds that uh, big shot against Devin Clark, and then quickly taps him out after that. I do think that the longer that this fight goes, the more it does favor uh, Anthony Smith. We have seen Ryan Span slow down in fights that do go the full three three rounds uh specifically that sam alvey fight that he had back in may of last year where he did slow down to the point that ryan uh sam alvey almost actually got him out of there in that third round rocking him numerous times i think anthony smith 
is that guy that gets stronger as the fight goes on outside of that Glover Teixeira fight. He does go out there and put on a decent pace against his opponents, and he does find uh, late finishes at times, like he did against Volkan Uzdemir, and like he did against uh, Alexander Gustafsson as well. I do like him here as well, and I don't mind those round three, four, and five props as I believe that if he does get out of that those early rounds, he should be able to start to take over. Ryan Spann obviously affords MMA product out of there, uh, out of Dallas, Texas, with Save Sayud. So you guys know I'm usually pretty high on Fortis guys, but Ryan Spann is not one of those guys. I truly believe he's a KO or bust type of situation here. So I do like uh, Anthony Smith here. I think he survives that early onslaught, and then after that starts to take over, lands a couple of takedowns, and possibly gets to work from that top position. But I do think he eventually finds that ground and pound or submission finish over Ryan Spann, probably in the third or fourth round of this fight. Um, again, a good spot for Smith to go out there and get a three-fight uh, winning streak going. Uh, again, I'm not a big believer of Ryan Spann. I don't think he's super talented. Um, you know, I, I say that with all due respect. I think he is way more KO robust than anything. And I think that uh, we're going to see that this weekend. He's going to have to go for, or he's going to be pushed in this fight. He's going to have to go deep in this fight. I think Anthony Smith has great durability. He should be able to take the shots of Ryan Spann, roll with it very well, and then start parlaying into his own success the later that this fight goes. So I am going with Anthony Smith. I am going to take him to win this fight by fourth round TKO. And that's a wrap on the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe to support your boy. And if you want to support a little bit more, you guys can hit up the Patreon. Five bucks a month, you guys get great content on there. Early access to the breakdowns, best bets and props article where I go every, over every single fight, give you guys my best bet and prop for each fight, along with my confidence level for each bet so you guys kind of know where my head's at prize picks tips we've been killing it over there so make sure you guys check that out as well um promo code ufc 100 if you guys haven't checked out prize picks yet they'll match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks um and uh, the discord community we have a, a very lively discord community not just talking about mma but a bunch of other sports so we have a lot of other tipsters on there dropping picks for other sports so we don't have to wait for every fucking week just to talk about mma luckily and thankfully for those guys in the discord they're able to keep it lively for us so we can have some bets even throughout the week so shout out to the discord community for that and uh yeah lastly coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and uh they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks um and trust me i've gotten a ton of people over there i've gotten nothing but positive feedback coolbet loves using my promo code because they're getting a ton of customers off of it so hopefully we can continue that running and uh, show them that uh, the mma lock of the night community is very strong and very supportive and that's the best way to do it so once again mmalotn2 is the promo code over there at coolbet they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks i have a fantastic guest ready for the ultimate weigh-in show i don't want to announce it yet i will drop it on twitter so you guys can see who it is uh but another very solid coach somebody who actually bets himself so i'm very much looking forward to hearing his insights uh but he will be joining me this weekend to break down this ufc vegas 37 card for you guys so that is friday night 9 p.m eastern if you guys are already watching this and i haven't heard who the guest is check into my twitter more than likely i'll have announced it by then uh it's going to be on my twitter but uh great guest for you guys on on friday obviously uh propping you up on thursday with uh, my guy john that's always a hoot to do uh giving you guys our best props bets uh so yeah make sure you guys stick around we got a ton of content dropping on this youtube channel i don't think i'll be doing a live version of the lockcast this week i do want to get right into ufc 266 and start dropping breakdowns for that show as well or that event as well uh so that i can get ahead because 
I'm going out next week to be a part of that show or not be a part of it, but go watch that event alive. So I want to have all my work done before I fly out on Thursday. Uh, so yeah, look out for that. That's just another perk for you guys on Patreon because a lot of that content will be dropping later this week for UFC 266 in advance of UFC Vegas 37. So check that out. All right. Uh, good luck on your bets. Good luck on your everything. I'll see you guys throughout the week. And uh, yeah gamble responsibly i gotta figure out a proper sign off for this but i'll see you guys uh throughout the week with all the other content that i got coming out